0: The station that leaves no listener behind.
1: This is an NBC News Radio special report, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. U.S. officials are warning that Russia could use chemical weapons in an attack on Ukraine. An official with the Biden administration told NBC News that the U.S. is concerned after Russia made a claim that Ukraine was planning a false flag chemical weapon attack. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Russian President Putin is assaulting Democratic values.
2: The assault that Putin has made on forget, on um, Ukraine is an assault on democracy.
1: During her weekly briefing, Nancy Pelosi said she talked by phone with Ukrainian President Zelensky for 45 minutes. Vice President Harris is now in Poland. This comes after the White House said there was a temporary breakdown in communications between Poland and the U.S. concerning sending fighter jets to Ukraine. This has been an NBC News Radio special report. I'm Brian Shook.
3: Medicare clarified. Hi, this is George Litchfield with Litchfield Insurance Associates. Well, it's getting close to that time of year again where you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your Medicare plan. There are exciting new plans for 2022 with United Healthcare, SCAN, and others. For your no-obligation review, people are calling If you're turning 65, new to the area, or losing group coverage, and have questions about Medicare, you are invited to our new offices and resource center at the Sundance Corporate Center, 835 Highland Springs Avenue, Suite 305 in Beaumont. For your no-cost Medicare consultation, people are calling 951-314-1949 to get their Medicare clarified.
0: You can shop online for Youngevity at www.kcaateam.com. Or you can order by phone by calling 800 982 3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Youngevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Younggevity at 800 982 3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Youngevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. If you're ready for a Las Vegas vacation, here's an offer you can't refuse. The Vegas Travel Center is offering three days and two nights in Vegas, free! Just call 909-406-7400. The offer includes accommodations with two free tickets to great Las Vegas entertainment with free meals. So if you're planning a trip to Vegas, you need to jump on this right now. Just call 909-406-7400. Obviously, an offer like this is not going to last. So call now, 909-406-7400, for your three-day, two-night Vegas vacation. That number again, 909-406-7400. Call now.
4: You may think every weather app is the same, Until you see WeatherBug over-deliver on so many layers. With more free map layers than any other weather app, WeatherBug warns you the moment lightning strikes near you. Prepares you for your commute with road conditions, routes, and even cameras. With everything from pollen and air quality to severe storm risks, radar, and satellite coverage, WeatherBug prepares you for the unpredictable. Download the WeatherBug app, trusted by over 10 million users, today for free. The staff and families at Yard House of Temecula takes this time out to recognize and salute the local men and women in uniform standing tall for our political and economic freedom around the world. Let's always remember them in our thoughts and prayers. Their efforts abroad and our support has kept America strong. This message, courtesy of your good friends at Yard House of Temecula at 40770 Winchester Road in Temecula. They are always working to keep our community moving in a positive direction.
0: Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. On today's
2: show, Scott visits with Dr. Barbara Baker. Dr. Barbara Baker is a senior world champion barrel racer and former president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Whether you're listening to us on KCAA, the NBC affiliate out in California, or watching our podcast on one of our many platforms, we really appreciate it. Today, we got a very special show for you and a very fun show. We have Dr. Barbara Baker. She is president emeritus of the Pitts- and CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium, and she's a world champion barrel racer. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Oh, I'm delighted to be here. I'm very honored. Thank you so much oh, for having me.
4: me. Me too. It's so much fun. And ever since I heard your talk, you know, I couldn't wait for other people that watch the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show to see you. And, and we met in Dillon, Montana at a, at a great conference. And, and it was the uh, Horse, Human and, and Nature Conference. And it was uh, presented by University of Montana Western and the Montana Center for Horsemanship. And you gave a speech and it, I'm still remembering what you talked about. It was so strong. So uh, awesome. it, it was truly a pleasure of the trip to get to meet you.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. What a place. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. I'm so jealous. I wish I was young again.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm following them, you know, on their social media, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the kids and they're riding these horses. And you can just see the excitement there. And, and uh, there was people from all over the world there for the event, mm-hmm. for the conference. It was a great time.
2: Yep, it was
4: man, so so let, let's talk about you so so, how did you get into the horse industry, or did you grow up loving horses or riding horses or both?
2: I grew up actually, on a farm in North Carolina, so you might pick up a little bit of northern southern accent, even though I'm a northern person now and uh so, I grew up on a farm in Stanford, North Carolina, and we had the typical cows, horses, pigs, you know you name it. We didn't have horses until I came along and convinced my daddy. I begged him, I think, three years before he finally bought me a pony that <laughs> bucked me off every ways but backwards, that pitched me in a ditch, bit me, kicked me, everything you can possibly think of, that horse did. So it was pretty funny. So. Oh,
3: man.
4: But um, you kept getting back on.
2: It anyway, got back on. I was yeah. determined. You know, That's Little awesome. Red was not going to get me. So. And so then I I ended up uh, being very interested in being a a veterinarian. So I went to vet school at Auburn, Alabama, and uh, then uh, was a zoo veterinarian, actually, for uh, eight and a half years. I started out at the Bronx Zoo in New York City and then went on to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. That Bronx Zoo in New York City is still one of my favorite parks. It's just beautiful. I mean, it's in the middle of... It's in the middle of the Bronx, and it's 265 acres in the middle of the Bronx with these big, old, huge trees, just a wonderful, wonderful park with all these fabulous animals. Yeah, it's really cool. And then I went on to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago and then down to the Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina before joining the team here 31 years ago.
4: Congratulations. Yeah, uh, I heard you just retired.
2: I did. I'm loving it. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Hey! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, it seems like you lived a lot of people's dreams to get to ride horses growing up and and work around all these fabulous animals for your for your career.
2: Well, it was fun. You know, I, the animals are just fabulous. You know, the the wild animals. I've had. I've been blessed to to not only have the opportunity to work in fabulous zoos all across the country, but also to have an opportunity to go. You know, to the wild and travel to, you know, see the animals in the wild and to do projects in the wild and even rescue some animals from the wild. So that's pretty cool as well. So it has been a lot. I've been very blessed.
4: Wow. So what, so what, so what attracted you to working in zoos as opposed to maybe opening your own veterinarian clinic?
2: Well, I actually originally was not looking to be a zoo veterinarian. I was going to be a horse doctor, you know, and, uh, but I, Auburn, Alabama had a very active raptor rehabilitation program. For those that don't know, raptors are hawks, owls, eagles, ospreys, kites. And they had a very active program with that. And so I started working with the birds there. And then when I was working with the birds there, then I started working with the Montgomery Zoo and the Birmingham Zoo, helping out with some of their birds and ended up getting interested in zoos that way so it wasn't in my plan I didn't and when I was growing up I had no experience with zoos at all so
4: so cool how that path just kind of opened up for you It was almost like it was meant to be
2: yeah it was yeah I think so too I agree
4: so how did you go from working on different um birds and such to running the Pittsburgh Zoo because that's that's an incredible transition
2: it's a big change. huh? It's, it's a huge deal because,
4: you, you know, you're dealing with it. But then at the end, you're, you know, your administration, but you're also in charge of, you know, the animals and the tourism and everything else.
2: Everything else. Yeah. 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 Some days I wonder why in the world I decided to do that. I mean, I, you know, because you go from working with all these fabulous animals to working right. with people. But right. uh, no, they're all good. But um, I worked for, I was a zoo veterinarian for eight and a half years, and then I became interested. And as a zoo veterinarian, you're working on individual animals. So mm-hmm. you're working on, you know, you might be working on a, a pair of rhino, but you're working on individual animals. You're not working on the species as a whole. And so I wanted to have a larger impact, see if I could have a larger impact on the species as a whole. And so I so I so to do that, I had to move up to more of a uh, administrative role, more of a manager's role, uh, rather than working on the individual animals. And so um, I got my MBA at the uh, University of South Carolina because I did, my husband pointed out that I didn't know how to balance, that I didn't balance my checkbook. <laughs> so, you know, he pointed that out to me. Now, I can balance my checkbook, but you know, in life, you got to have priorities, you know. Absolutely. Ride the horse, balance your checkbook, you know. You go ride the horse. Right.
3: Absolutely.
2: But he did point out me that I knew nothing about finance or any of that accounting or any of that kind of stuff. So I went and got my MBA and then, uh, you know, started looking at various different suits across the country where I thought I could help out and make it a better place. And Pittsburgh turned out to be a perfect fit for us. So after 31 years, I'm finally retiring. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they had to kick me out. But because uh, I I think I probably would have stayed, you know, at least five or six more years. But it's good. It's very good. Um, and it's a beautiful place. I've, I've been very blessed and had a lot of fun there.
4: Oh, that's so cool. That's such a great deal. And it's just um, a testament to your work for sure. But um, so so being the administrator, you know, the president and the CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo. Let's talk about that. Let's talk a little business. So how many animals or species were on, in the zoo
2: and when? We actually, um, we, you mentioned when you introduced me that it was Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. Mm-hmm. So we're only one of the, we were one of only six zoos in the country, major zoos in the country that have a major aquarium as part of on the same grounds as the zoo. And so that was, that was a very unique thing about the zoo. Uh, so we have a, almost 6,000 animals at the zoo. Wow! And uh, about 348 different species. So now about 2,000 of those, 2,500 are fish, you know, so, uh, and we don't count all of them, but uh, we have right. a, a lot of fish. We have 43 different tanks of fish. So <laughs>
4: pretty rich. Goodness gracious.
2: Yeah. Uh, so. to
0: keep and them then all
2: actually, originally when I started at the zoo, we only had five endangered species that we were working with. And by the time I left, we had developed programs for 52 endangered species that we were working very heavily with, especially with African elephants. We have a very major program with African elephants that we work with. So, Well, I loved your story in,
4: in, in Montana, your, your elephant story. Would you mind talking a little bit about that, how you went over there the first time?
2: Oh, that was fun. You know, we, we went over recently. I, I think you're referring to when we went the video I showed. Yes. Think. yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got a call. It's funny. We got a call from the um, person who's in charge of the committee that run that manages the breeding population of elephants in this country. And uh, that's called a species survival plan or SSP. We got a call from the leader of that. And she said that there was three there were three elephants in Botswana who were going to be shot. They were being shocked because one of the elephants had been involved in an altercation with a human, the trainer of the elephants. And unfortunately, he had gotten a punctured lump. Well, it, you know, here in Pittsburgh, you'd go to the hospital and they might even not keep you overnight. They'd probably just send you right back home again after treating you. Right. But he sure. was so far away from medical care that it took him two hours in bumpy, bumpy roads and bumpy vehicles to get him to the hospital, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Well, in Botswana and in most of Africa, they have their laws are primarily for wild elephants. They're not for, for many animal, animals that are actually captive. They don't have many captive elephants in Africa. And the ones they do are usually used for rides uh, in, you know, riding out on safari so you can see the animals up close. And so they were actually going to shoot these three elephants. Uh, because they had been involved in a, at the death of an individual, a human, and so they wanted to rescue these animals and bring them to the states and so a wonderful family had saved these animals originally from a call back on South Africa many years ago, and so they called they were searching everywhere to try to find somebody to take these animals and uh, that 's how it all came around to get to us so we got a call and was like, you know, okay, well, never, I don't even have a clue how you transport an elephant <laughs> from Botswana, you know, to Pittsburgh, you know, that's <laughs> a pretty hefty little run, you know, yeah, that's a sure. pretty long flight. Uh, and so, you know, but we pulled it off in six months time and it was dicey. It was really interesting because we had to, the government was seriously going to shoot these animals. And we had to write, I had to write a letter every month to the government and tell them of Botswana, and tell them that you know we were making progress. We were had the crates being made, and we were having the. we I had booked a plane. You want to get a kick? Book your own 747. I mean, that
4: fun. <laughs> that's you know? a power trip right there. <laughs>
2: that's a power trip right there, man. You know? I mean, that's like. Wow. But um, yeah, awesome. it was. I mean, what else are you can put three full grown? That's all
4: animals? you can
2: do. Yeah, that's all you can yeah. do. And we were loading them. So we loaded them up. Uh, We taught them. They trained the elephants to go into crates. And then we got there and we loaded them into crates. They had to be picked up by a big old crane and put on trucks. We had to go 13 hours from Botswana to the Johannesburg Airport in South Africa. And then we were able to fly them up to Pittsburgh. And uh, it's a 19-hour flight. So long flight. Long flight. (laughs)
4: Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Goodness <laughs> gracious.
2: Uh, first time I'd ever been in the bubble. So that was kind of fun. But <laughs> the elephants did great. The elephants, you know, they were they were, you know, uh, one after the other in the in the um, plane. And so they could touch They couldn't touch each other, but they could smell each other. They could interact with each other. They were completely fine. They, they were not upset at all. We fed and watered them throughout the trip uh, you know, we had a little panel where we could open it up and they could put their trunk out and we could feed them the whole trip. And then we were able to offload them. And boy, that was a, that was such a positive thing to see them, you know, in Pittsburgh and to know we made it and oh. that we had, had rescued them to get them all the way back here. was just amazing. You know, Well, so- to put
4: something together like that is just incredible. You know, like oh. you said, with the plane, but you're moving three elephants in two different countries and and, yeah. and going to, you know, from Africa to Pittsburgh, that, that's yeah. an and incredible whole thing,
2: feat. Oh, there was all kinds of problems. You wouldn't think of a <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, well, you know, we've got these two mahouts. The so mahouts are traditionally the trainers of elephants, right? Okay. And we've got these two mahouts. Well, they speak, um, they don't speak English. Neither oh. one of them speaking. So the elephants don't speak English. Right. The elephants don't know any commands in English, you know. So we're we're trying to get visas to get the mahouts to be able to come over to be with the elephants. And we almost didn't get them on the plane because we couldn't get the visas. And uh, but it was because we were going to have three elephants that we didn't. I mean, you don't normally speak elephant language like you don't normally speak horse language. But at least, you know, they know what woe means if you buy a horse. Make sure they know what woe means, yes, and so but the the elephants didn't speak any English, so you know, we wow. had to bring them hoots over and have them stay for six months and teach our staff how to speak to the elephants.
4: That is so cool, it's such a big task and it's such a high profile task. And and y'all did it, you know, and that's yeah. a that's a pressure play right there, and that's really cool. But it paid off so long, absolutely. I, I mean just to go to governments right there alone is is challenging
2: yeah very much so yeah so and you're in you know we're crossing borders so we're crossing borders our big big concerns on the elephants were we're crossing borders between botswana and and south africa and you know were we going to be given trouble there what was going to happen you know did we have all our papers in line you know it was it was something it took a good solid six months of training of uh planning but we got we got them home.
4: You so, got it done. And
2: since then, yeah. Since then, uh, we have a calf on the ground right now from one of them. So, oh, how exciting.
4: cool is that? Yes, absolutely. It, it's so cool what you just said. You know, you're on this plane and you just slide the window and there's an elephant trunk, and you're flying yeah. back to Pittsburgh. That's a cool story, you yeah. know, but it shows people you can do almost anything, if not everything. If you put your mind to it and you make a plan and you you work it.
2: Scott will be right back with more from Dr. Barbara Baker.
4: Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm really passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. Those that don't, now you know I do. And we've been working on this for several months, and we, we wanted to get it just right. And we don't put our name on anything unless we feel 100% certain it's, it's the best product we can get. And uh, we, we've done it. I really believe we've done it. We've created a coffee line, 13 great flavors. I'm gonna show you three of them. We have K-Cups in all 13 flavors. Here's a Jamaican Me Crazy. It's just a really great coffee. Everyone has great logos. It has a brand, the same brand that's on our horses, our trailers, you know that brand. We have whole bean. This is a great Honduran blend and uh, it's a whole bean coffee. We have whole bean in all 13 flavors. And then we have a ground coffee. Uh, this is a really great one. My wife and I really like this a lot. Loved it. So we named it after our daughter. Hayes Glenn. Everyone has the packaging and the logo of the show, our brand. And I hope you like it. I, I really believe you will. And we're going to have more flavors coming out soon. We're going to have the pumpkin spices. And then we're going to go to peppermint after that. And please send us your suggestions as well. You can find it at cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Think coffee shop. entrepreneur dot shop. Thank you so much. We have a lot of entrepreneurs out here that, that watch our show or listening to us on KCAA, and they're wondering, how can we tackle something? And you did it in a magnificent way. So what yeah, would you did. tell them? So if there's somebody watching and they have a business, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, and as an entrepreneur, how do you tell someone to tackle something maybe not as extravagant or as grand as what you did with the elephants, but how can they tackle something in their business?
2: Well, I think when you look at your business, what you have to, what I think people don't tend to want to do uh, because they want to stand on their own and want to prove they can do something. But one of the things that I have learned the hard way is that you, you call on your friends. You really do. When you're tackling something that you don't know how to do and you don't know what to do then you ask for help. I mean, there's so many people in the barrel racing world, and I barrel race, and there's so many people in the barrel racing world that are scared to talk to, you know, some of the big name people. Uh, And certainly you don't want to talk to them when they're getting ready to make the run. But when we're just sitting around the trailer or people are just sitting around, you know, they always are willing to try to help or to, you know, give you some advice or whatever. And the same is true in business. You know, I had no clue how to, I, I don't, I don't rent planes. I have no yeah. idea how to move an elephant. You know, I called up a friend of mine who, who runs a uh, international uh, elephant, a uh, international animal exchange business. And I called her up and I said, you know, I need to get three elephants out of Botswana. You know, who do I call? You
1: know? <laughs> I love that.
2: <laughs> you know, I love Cause that. I don't know anything about it, you know? And she said, you come to the right place. And I'm like, great. Yay. Help me, help me. And by the way, we got to do it fast.
4: (laughs) Really fast. Yeah. There was pressure for the elephants too, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Such a, such a cool story. So, so with, with the customers or your visitors at the zoo, I I know you almost doubled it if not doubled the amount of visitors And, and it's one of the top attractions in the region, the Pittsburgh zoo, the PPG aquarium. Yep. How, how do you do that? Because it, it was good and you start adding to it. What What's your business plan?
2: Well, what we did actually was a number of things. One was that when I took over at the zoo, I was originally working for the city of Pittsburgh. And so we started out with the city of Pittsburgh. Now, with a budget from the city, the city's focus is really on fire and water and police and all those kind of things, right? And right. not on really running a zoo. So we privatized the zoo about four years after I came on board, and that allowed us then to bring in a lot more community support, because some people are a little nervous about funding government kind of thing, mm-hmm. but they'll right. fund the zoo by itself, and then we were also able to go out and get a lot more help and in through that, then we were able to have the funds and the availability to do marketing and PR and get the word out. You know, back then we didn't have social media like we do now, right. you know, so you, you really had to rely on TV and radio and, and printed ads, uh, you know, that don't hardly exist anymore. But, you know, that was so very, very important at that time. And then we also, what we did was we put together what's called a regional asset district which is a taxing en- entity that funds 1% sales tax funds uh, all of the cultural entities in Pittsburgh. So we put that together. Yeah. So that we could also have additional funding. So through that additional funding, then we were able to build new exhibits, create excitement, tell people about it. Cause you can build anything new, but if people don't know about it, they're not going to come, Absolutely. You know, whatever right, program you're doing, you know, so, and we kept, Marketing and and developing more PR and to, and having positive stories. I think that's the other thing you've got to do, as an entrepreneurial and as a as a as a business person. You've got to have integrity. You've got mm-hmm. to have trust. People have to believe you. They have to trust in you. And you've got to be a good salesman. Right. Uh, for like a better way to put it, you Absolutely. know, even, even in the zoo world, it's just, you're selling. Uh, uh, a a recreational visit for people to come or you're selling a conservation program for people to support conservation in in Africa or you're you're supporting a new exhibit and trying to find support for that so you're constantly trying to excite people about what you're excited about
4: yeah I love that you're just selling your passion and exactly yeah, I love that. So what was one of your favorite outreaches? Was it Christmas or was it where the classrooms were able to adopt an animal or um, what was something that was really just a fun, feel good kind of deal?
2: Well, one of the things we do at the zoo, which is is kind of a fun, feel good thing, if you talk about it, is we have uh, during the winter, because we do have a little bit of winter up here in Pittsburgh. You,
4: you do, you do. Just
2: a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, we have penguin walks. So the birds, the penguins love coming out in the snow. They just love coming out in the snow, right? But they can only come out if it's 40 degrees or below. And so we started in the winter months when it's 40 degrees below, uh, we walked the penguins outside. So we'd walk them right out of their exhibit, right outside, right down the public pathway, and then we we'll walk them back up again. And people love it. They absolutely will come out. I mean, like they'll they'll be, you know, a thousand people out and it'll be 20 degrees outside. And I'm looking at them going, I'm going out there to see a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> but they come because it's just so cool to see them walking around.
4: You but know? see, I love and, that entrepreneurial mind you have and, and just, you know, finding a solution, you know, for during the winter. What are we going to do? And just let's have a penguin walk. I love the uniqueness of it. And the simplicity, but it's so powerful. It works.
2: Well, what we, what I tried to look at was, and we did this in a lot of exhibits we did too, is what, if it, if it excites the staff, if it excites us. And we had done the penguin walks before the visitors came on grounds, you know. And, and one day we looked at each other and said, well, why don't we do them when the visitors are here? You know, and, you know, can we control it? Because the birds are like toddlers. They just go wherever they want to go. They they just go wherever they want. They waddle off and you got to try to catch up with them. Yeah, some of my buddies Uh, are like that. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to try to keep up with them. And so they just kind of wander off. And so we kind of looked at things that if it excited us and we thought it was cool, then people thought it was cool you know. That's awesome. So, and so a lot of the things that we did, we incorporated that. There was a um, you know, we had a we had a, a fence line between um, behind a bunch of bushes at our tiger exhibit. And one of our staff members would sneak back there and and look at the tigers. And I'm I'm looking at I caught him back there one day and I said what are you doing? And he said there's a great view of the tiger seat. It's really close. You're right, right nose to nose. And I'm like you're really not supposed to be nose to nose. To <laughs> you do realize that right? Because this fellow was the COO. He wasn't like an uh, animal person. Uh, you know? And so what we ended up doing was we we actually developed a viewing window there. So that and then the tiger does walk straight at you and nose to nose with you. And so those types of experiences were the things that we. If it excited us and it was good for the animal, like the penguin walks. Penguins love the walks. Right. You know, then, then it was it was win win all around.
4: So so smart, but it, it's so much fun, you know. Yeah, it it's, is. it's so yeah. much fun, you know, coming up with a solution that is like that, you know. And like the CEO seeing this is a great view, and then but you're wise enough to say let's make it a public view, and you fix it that's yeah. that's awesome, but and that's a great lesson for any entrepreneur watching you know if you find something that works, don't be afraid to do it
2: right, yeah, if it excites you, then it's yeah. liable to also incite your market
4: yeah that's that's great, that's great so so working with birds, and now you transported the elephants and you have all these things going on, so what was one of your favorite animals at the zoo?
2: Oh my gosh, it's hard to hard to say because I mean you know we have a fabulous collection of tigers. They're mm. one of the most beautiful cats in the world. Just wonderful, wonderful animals. You know, we've got great rhinos uh, at our zoo. We, we breed black rhinos. And awesome. so they are fabulous, fabulous animals. And the uh, uh, scaredest I've ever been was in the wild. We, we were in uh, Africa one time and we were doing a re- uh, research project on, uh, and we were actually uh, collecting rhino semen, you know, mm. to freeze, to bring back to the States, to bring in new bloodlines. And so uh, we had tranquilized this one rhino. And normally when you reverse the tranquilization, the animal gets up kind of slow. Well, this rhino didn't get up kind of slow. Oh, no. He, you know, the needle was still in his ear, and he's standing up, popping up, and madder to hornet, because black rhinos are madder horn. They're like oh. Arabian horses, just hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and, and so he came, he popped up, spun around, came flying at us, and I've never run so fast in my life. And there were three people in front of me, and we were all hauling buck for the truck. <laughs> you know, and just jumped over the side and and dove in and landed in a big pile together. But um, and he hit the side of the truck. But fortunately, everything was okay. But
4: oh my boy, goodness, they, they,
2: they can run. You, they're like they're like they're really sort. Of, they're like Arabian horses, but they're more like quarter horses. They're sprinters. They can run really fast for a short period of time. So gotcha. black rhinos can. So and they have very poor eyesight. So they just go. They hit something and go. What was that?
4: Yeah. So they'll run really fast over you and they won't realize it.
2: Right. They won't know. They won't know. Yeah. They have oh, no idea.
3: Yeah. Oh
2: no. Octopuses, you wouldn't know it, but octopuses are one of the most intelligent animals that we work with. And octopuses huh. are we, we have fun with them because you know, you'll put a jar in there and we'll put we'll put something in the jar for them to play with. And they'll unscrew the lid of the jar and, you know, open it up, take the lid off you know, get down in high inside of it, pull whatever's out, out, you know, and, and play with it for hours. Oh
4: my so, goodness. How cool yeah, is they're that?
2: They're very, very smart animals. You wouldn't think so. Very
4: you wouldn't? Not at
2: all. No, not at all.
4: That, that's awesome. That's awesome.
2: Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more from Dr. Barbara Baker.
0: For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com.
4: Awesome. So so natural horsemanship. I heard you talking about that with some of your animals, with the elephants and maybe some of the other animals. So this is another thing for the entrepreneurs and other people is, is figuring out solutions for problems or maybe not even problems, but just to do things easier. Right. Would you talk yeah, okay. a little bit about how you came up with that? Because that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but oh, you know, man. We, I, we have, we were blessed with a very, very good elephant manager, Willie Tyson. And Willie's a good friend of mine. And he was teaching me about how he works with elephants. And he, I realized as, and about the same time, natural horsemanship was starting to become known in our industry. And we were starting to see more and more uh, horse people talking about natural horsemanship. So this was 15 years ago, you know. And so we were really starting to see that. And I was paying attention to it because I liked it a lot and I liked the philosophies a lot. And so I was trying to figure out a way to encapsulate what Willie does because Willie does natural horsemanship with his elephants. That's exactly what he does. He watches body language and he figures out what the animal's going to do with that body language. And then he uses that to try to figure out how to best manage the animals and how to, Take care of them and how to have them do what he wants them to do, right? Without so building a relationship with the animals and learn and having the animals respect and trust you, you know. And when you have an animal that weighs anywhere from eighty-six hundred to you know eleven thousand pounds, you know, and and is ten and a half feet tall, you know, you you need to figure out ways to work with that animal. And right. certainly uh, being abusive to the animal is not the way to get it done. No, no, no. that's no. no. not going to work with an elephant.
3: No, no way. No, So
2: uh, we were looking at ways to, to try to train the next generation of people to be elephant trainers and elephant handlers and to work with their animals. So I went all over. I literally went all over the country looking at different programs. I went to a John Lyons program, and his program was primarily based in the saddle. And I really needed a program that was based at Liberty, you know. So uh, I went to, I talked to actually Monty Roberts. I talked to Monty Roberts, fabulous person. And, but he was in England at the time. So he couldn't help us out. And so, and he was going to be there for a while. And so he was he was uh, very supportive, but, um, you know, he, he couldn't help. So then I, I came upon a Pat Pirelli program. Uh, and went to it down in Florida and uh, there we were now we were working at Liberty you know we're working with a lot of times without the halter even and we were trying to get the horse to do things that we wanted to do Uh, and that seemed to have a lot more application to it so then uh, of course then I had to figure out well how do we apply it to the zoo so I found this wonderful trainer Jesse Peters who's over in Greenville Ohio and Jesse, by far, is the best adult education, educator I've ever met in my life. I mean, Jesse's wow. just fabulous. He looks just like Woody from Toy Story. I mean, he's like six, se- I'm serious, he's six feet, seven inches tall. Then he adds a hat on, you know. So he's huge. You know, I'm this little dinky thing. And then he, you know. And then he, and he dresses like he just, the cowboy, he looks so much like Woody. It's hilarious. But he's great. He's awesome. He's so good with, with adults. And uh, he's now working with Pat, with um, Linda Pirelli, with uh, her program. Uh, And so, but um, Jesse came over and we talked for a while and we looked at how we could apply. And Jesse's first comment was, you know, I don't know anything about elephants. I don't want to be an elephant trainer. You know, and I'm like, well, that's good because we don't want you to be. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we <laughs> got that.
2: that. We got that, Barb. Yeah. We want to figure out how to train the next generation. And so it was really fun. So he said, well, I'll I'll show you my program. We'll go through it. We'll take some classes. So we first started out with the elephant keepers and we ran them through a program where we had Morning classes um, where we would sit down in a classroom at the zoo and have a morning class. And then in the afternoon, we'd take them to the barn and work with the horses. And it was pretty funny. I tell you, I've got some great pictures because, you know, 99% of the people at the zoo had never worked with a horse before, you know, never worked with a horse and certainly not, you know, worked with one they never met before, you know. But we would take them to the barn. And we'd put them in a stall with a horse, and we and we'd explain how you put the halter on, and they'd be like, "Oh, no, no, no. you know, <laughs> that thing's." On Isn't, the that funny? You know, Isn't that you know, funny? Isn't that funny? there are people who work with elephants, you know, and they're like, "I don't want to go in that stall," you know. So, but um, yeah, we had a fabulous time, and so so we we trained. We started out with the elephant keepers, and then I thought, you know, this has a lot of application for. How we treat all of our animals, mm-hmm. you know, because all of our animals basically are at liberty, right? We don't have a halter or a lead rope on any of our animals, and so I started expanding it to the rhino keepers, to the hoofstock keepers, the zebras, the you know the the impalas, gazelles, all those kind of things, and then on out to the rest of the uh, even the cat keepers and everybody started getting involved. And then we started getting people requesting to go. I want to go to the training program. I want to, you know, everybody's talking about it. I want to go. And so uh, we had a beginner's course where, you know, the first time people would go. And then we'd have a continuing education course where the, you know, people could learn more and go. And so basically they would learn about how a horse thinks, and then they'd have to put it together with how a human thinks and try to, try to communicate. And it was so much fun because you had these people in the end of the lead line and they've got a horse at the other end of it. And we tell them, OK, now walk it out into this arena. And now you're going to do these, you know, we want you to walk over this tarp and jump over that thing. And, you know, we want you to stand on this thing and make it go around in circles. And they're, they've they never seen a horse before.
4: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
2: Oh, they're like, oh, ah! you know, so, yeah. Which is funny because, you know, you're you're dealing with people that, you know, work with tigers and lions. Yeah, that's
4: what's so funny about it. They're used to and these exotic animals and a horse. But I guess it's what you're used horse. to, you know. Yeah, but I not- guess it goes back to business. It's what you're used to. And you get out of your zone, it's kind of uncomfortable a little bit.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because you're, you, on top of that, the thing that intrigued me about it was that it, it makes you think, think differently about your leadership skills
4: yes absolutely
2: you know you have to think differently about your leadership skills you know you right. i i can't i can't tell that horse hey i'm president and ceo don't so get your butt over there you know it doesn't work for the doesn't horse doesn't work no look at me going i don't know what she you know? said <laughs> you know i like the tone i love it <laughs> don't <I> love it <laughs>
4: So, so creating this, you know, this natural and running your employees through it, and then they're asking to be educated. That's a that's a mind shift when you can take your entire staff and and have them change mentally and ask to be educated and trained and go through classes, because that's a fight for a lot of businesses.
2: Oh, yeah. It was really funny because I I had people from every single department. So our whole maintenance department went through it, our horticulture department, you know, our accounting department, our CFO. Our CFO had never seen a horse before. Oh my. And in in person. In person, you know. Right. Never right. seen a horse in person. You know? And here she is. She's like, ah, I don't know what to do. And and they don't speak the language. They don't know what the horse needs. You know, they don't know what language the horse speaks. They they don't know what commands to use. And they've got it figure out how to up their leadership so that they can make this work. And so it it was very, very good from a standpoint of it's very hard to find adult education programs that are interesting, where you're not just sitting in a classroom for eight hours, you know, filling out sheets and workbooks on the wall and that sort of stuff, you know, and where you're challenged. You know, you literally challenged. And yeah. so, when you take people that are in accounting, or in you know marketing, or PR, or you know horticulture, or grounds, or whatever, and or even aquarium, you know, and you put them with a horse and say, now you got to make, you got up, you you need to be the leader. And on top of that, we cheated because Jesse and I knew our horses right because I, I we used his horses and my horses. And so we would we would pick which horse are going to put with people and then oh, we my. would rotate people around. So, you know, if we had a smart Alec who knew it all and, you know, I know everything about leadership and, you know, I don't I don't not go learn anything about leadership from you guys. You know, I'm just coming because Barbara says I got to. And, uh, you know, we put them with the, you know, six month old filly that didn't know squat
4: you know yeah that'll humble you
2: yep it was full of fighting vinegar you know just ready Uh, to go so
4: uh, well i I loved how all the employees even accounting you know in the aquarium had that had that relationship they all been through something together you know that's that's really cool they had something in common
2: yeah, we have a staff of about uh, uh, full time, usually right around 140, 148 people. And uh, we had over 160 go through the program. So it was pretty cool over the course of the many years that we did it.
4: So, That's awesome. I bet that was so much fun to watch. and so funny. So <laughs> There were fun. a lot of
2: funny things.
4: So. I bet so. I bet so. So you were one of the youngest CEOs in the zoo industry. And so so, what's some advice for somebody that's young that's maybe starting their own business or maybe they're becoming a CEO of a business? How, how did you do that and accept that challenge and then lift your zoo to the top?
2: Well, I think uh, that you learn as you go. So you mm-hmm. certainly learn a tremendous amount when you're first president and CEO. You make a lot of mistakes. I think the key thing to, is to continue to not get frustrated about mm-hmm. your mistakes because everybody makes them. You know whether right. they admit right. to them or not, especially right. when you're young and you're starting out. Um, I think right. it's key. I, I think it's key to uh, almost, uh, from a perspective of the natural horsemanship, um, not not be, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, on a power trip, but yeah. rather be uh, someone who has a job to do and wants to get that job done in the best way they can. And so we always told our employees park the egos at the door, you know, right. uh, and, and the drama. Cause I didn't like drama, you no, know, park, no. the, park the drama and the ego at the door and we got a job and want to get it done, you know? And so let's figure out how we can get it done uh, and work together. I think that's key and communicate, communicate, communicate. Right. I mean, right. that, that's so important. And, and from the, and it can, you cannot possibly communicate too much from the top. Right. I mean, you know, I could talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week and still not communicate enough uh, to, to, to really reach every single person within the organization that, that uh, wants to be reached. So it's a very challenging role. Yeah.
4: It, it, it okay. is. Yeah. But you're good at it. And plus, I think you being down there with your horses training these guys on natural horsemanship and you being around them and going on penguin walks and coming up with ideas and. The CEO's got an idea and you're there. I think you're so accessible. I I think that's a part of it.
2: I think that's huge. I think that that you can't, it's very, very easy, especially today, to get locked in your office or to get locked behind the computer and spend all day long on emails, you know, and not get outside. Yeah, not get out with your customers, not get out with your visitors, not get out with your staff. And that's really what a leader needs to do more than anything. You know, it's to do that, yeah. So, I would try to walk the zoo grounds in the morning before everything got crazy, you know, because before everything started to hit, because otherwise, you'd get called up with meetings and meetings and meetings.
4: meetings. Makes sense, yeah, yeah, definitely. You got to get out there, it's your business. I, I love that, so, so, uh. So you're a world champion barrel racer. So we're going to talk horses and, and barrel races. As You know, I, love, I like business a lot. I love business, but I really have a passion for horses. So um, world champion barrel racer. So how did you start barrel racing? So from the time your horse was training you when you were younger and, and you were getting back on, getting back on to becoming a world champion.
2: Well, I always rode. I rode my entire life, but I just okay. traveled. I, I did not barrel race. And then one of my daughters, we have seven kids.
4: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Communicate, <laughs> communicate, communicate,
2: communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have seven kids. And one of my daughters was interested in barrel racing. Uh, she had tried the showmanship and all that kind of stuff. And and then one day she, she went to a fun race and ran barrels and it was over. You know, she's like, I ain't painting any more toenails anymore. <laughs> I'm not watching any horses. I'm getting on my pony and running as fast as I can. Awesome. And so uh, awesome. we, were, we were into barrel racing. And so uh, we got lucky enough to hook up with a uh, world famous trainer, uh, Sue Belogna, who won the Fort Smith Faturity many years ago. And Sue lives right up the road from us. And so we started training there. When Casey, my daughter, though, went off to college, she's one of their, one of these kind of been there, done that girls. So she's like, you know, uh, I said, well, you want me to keep your horse in shape? And, you know, I'll ride it. I'll ride him during the winter and then you can come home. No, mom, I'm kind of done. I'm done with that. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, because now we have the little horse trailer. You know, we got everything. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I took the horse up to Sue's, my trainer. And I said, and the trailer, and I said, Sue, I need you to help me sell this horse and this trailer. And she's like, No, 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 no. You can ride that horse. And I'm like, No, 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 no. That horse is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Had all kinds of alley issues, you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: no way. Uh-uh, uh uh-uh.
3: uh-uh. But she
2: talked very persuasive. Yeah. And so she talked me into it. And so I've been running now since two thousand nine. And just for fun, I just have a good time. I've I've just been really blessed with really good horses. So uh the Lord's been very good to me in that department. but I don't know why.
4: Yeah, well, you got a lot of talent too. To, um, oh no.
2: I just yeah. hang on to that horn. That horn is your <laughs> friend. I hang on to that horn. Your
4: best friend. Your best friend. So <laughs> so what's that on the wall back there with the bow?
2: Oh, that actually is a cool thing. A friend of mine made that for me. It's a um it's all made out of horseshoes. So it's a horseshoe. Uh, belt belt holder so it's a it's a belt buckle holder and so it's all horseshoes and horse nails all welded together and then those are some belt buckles I've won, won over the
4: years. Congratulations man. that is so cool.
2: Yeah I thought it was really really neat because I couldn't find anything to go up the pipe you see we've got a wood burning stove and I couldn't find anything to go up there uh, to hold the belt buckles. so I thought that would be fun so yeah it worked out pretty cool.
4: Absolutely, You just went out and won some races and got you something on the wall.
2: Got me something on the wall. <laughs> <sorry>. So,
4: so, <laughs> so, so I guess you ride quarter horses.
2: I do, yeah. I actually ride a paint, so I've right. had quarter horses right now. I'm riding a paint. My, my world champion is a paint, uh, and ironically, he's 19, he'll be 20 this year. So um, I'm looking for a new one now, but, um, and he's been great. Uh, He's been, uh, he was a, actually a horse I hauled many, many years for the little girl that owned him. And then when she went off to college, her dad called me and said, you know, you're the only person I'd want to have him. And so I rode him and uh, we, we've been very blessed. Uh, He just loves the pen at worlds, NBHA worlds. And so down in Perry, Georgia, it's a beautiful facility. And so we've been very blessed down there.
4: That is so, so, so neat. So neat. So I, I love, I think we were talking and you're kind of telling me your turnout. So you run for a while, then you kick them out for a while and that'll be a horse?
2: Yeah, I do. We, we uh, Well, you know, it is winter in Pittsburgh.
3: Yeah. And
2: nice. so, uh, so it's not so much fun to ride in winter in Pittsburgh, unless you have an indoor and I don't. So. Right. But I've always what I've always tried to do with my horses is that our our season kind of runs from March through uh, Worlds. Our last race is Worlds, which is the last week of October, first week of November. And then I let them be horses. I kick them out on the pasture and I'll let them be horses until the first of March again. Early March, according to weather around here, March, mid-March and uh, first of April. And then so they just they get that whole time off. So I pull the shoes. And you know, uh, let them be horses, and uh, uh, that that works out really well for him. And I think that's that that has built built into the longevity I've had with my horse because I got him when he was 14, and uh, now he, he's 19, going on 20. And last year he ran faster at He ran the fastest times we've ever run at worlds. Oh so he goodness. ran two fifty nos. I'm like, what are you doing?
4: Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. You're old, oh come on that's 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 smoking it, yeah, that so. is smoking it. well, it has <laughs> to be something to your ability for riding it and that horse's mentality and heart, but also, I think laying them off that long and letting him be a horse and rest up, I think that has to have something to do with it.
2: well, I think the other thing that has a lot to do with it too is the horsemanship, the natural horsemanship, whatever you know clinician that you lose to learn that, but the natural horsemanship teaches you how to read and understand the horse that you have. And so, you know, I had one horse, one of my barrel racing horses, the very first one I started out with, you literally could not ride her. I never rode her. You believe that? I never no, I, I,
4: I, I'm trying I to tried
2: figure. to ride that horse, but I could never ride that horse. That so horse how come? Had, how come? She had been blown up uh, as a paturity horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing ex- but she had been blown up and she had been treated she had not been treated like a horse so for nine years she was not put with another horse because she was too valuable a horse to be with another horse for nine years you know and so I got her and uh Jesse helped me figure out that she was literally catatonic uh she was she was just so locked down that you couldn't get get her to do anything but if you got on her she was just, you know, flat out, you know, go as fast as she possibly could, and she right. had no in between. I literally, Scott, tried for a year and a half to get that horse to trail ride. A year and a half to get that horse to trail ride, and wow. never could. So, but barrel racing, she is great. She's like right. riding them. It was amazing. So, so what I would do is I would pony her to condition her to get her in shape. And we'd pony for three to four, five miles when I was getting her in shape. And then uh, when I went to the barrel race, I would lunge her. And then I'd get on her, the horse before. The horse, when the horse in front of me went down the alleyway, I would get on her. And then I would go down the alleyway, make my run, come back down and get off her again. You could not ride that horse. But in the arena, in the barrel pattern, that was her zone. That was her comfort zone. That was her job. Loved it. Yeah. She absolutely loved running. And it was like riding a Porsche. It's the only horse I've ever barrel raced on. Most of the pictures you see with people on barrel racing they're grimacing because you know they're trying to hang on so bad. She's the only one that I smile going around the barrels because it was just so smooth.
4: But see, it was worth that effort, you know, and you figuring that out. Wait you have to figure
2: that out. Yeah, you have to. So, like with my horse I'm running right now. He's. A, I'm not okay. Are you okay, horse? Right. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. You know. So, right. you know, you have to have him away from the pen. You can't have him up at the arena. You've got to warm him up away from the pen, as far away as you can get, and then you bring him up to the pen when it's time. So, you know, you. you I take him back to the stall. I let him rest for a minute. I rest for a minute, pray, have a
4: yeah, little,
2: don't fall off, don't fall down, <laughs> don't let me fall off, don't let me fall down, because so, we've done both, and,
4: right.
2: so, <laughs> you know. and so, and then I get back on, and we go make a run, and so it's just understanding what your horse needs to set him up to succeed. If right. you can figure out what your horse needs, what your horse's personality is, what he needs, be most comfortable to go in there and enjoy his job you know then it you know it can and can work out very well for you You
4: i I love that so much because it's showing patience and just watching your horse and let your horse tell you what he wants or she wants to be a better horse
2: Mm -hmm. And,
4: and a lot of people you know and it's no disrespect but they'll get on a horse try it a few times say it's not for me you know but you take that time and effort you figure out the best pattern the best way to work them and uh It usually works out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I just recently tried out a horse, a barrel horse, because, like I said, my horse is twenty now, so they're not going to run forever. And although I can't convince him of that, but you know, know, he could slow down a little bit. I'd be fine in the three di don't have to be in one day. i be fine in the three. But no, he won't be in one day. No. But anyway, um, but you know, I just tried out a horse, and and the people said, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, where do you want to set up? barrels blah 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 and I said yeah I've seen I had watched videos of the horse run I said I've seen the barrels I don't need to see the barrels I said I want to spend time with him in his stall you know I do want to ride him around a little bit you know but I just want to spend time with the horse you know I don't need to make a barrel run right
3: you know I've seen him make a
2: barrel you know I need to figure out what type of horse this is and whether he's gonna you know enjoy being with me
4: I love that (laughs) so much so much yeah, so so uh I guess what, so besides horses, is there any exotic animals, or is there any unique animals at your house, or have you already done that?
2: Well, we've already done that. When the kids yeah. were growing up, you know, we had various different, uh, gosh, we've raised lion cubs here, we've raised clouded leopard cubs here, they're so cute, they're about this big, you know, This <laughs> teeny little thing,
1: so, so we've cute. raised,
2: you know, we've had uh, all kinds of, uh, cats here that we've raised and, uh, you know, an anteater once and, uh, Oh God, I don't know, a whole host of things, but, uh, no, we actually, uh, we have, my husband trains protection dogs. So, uh, we have Schutzen dogs, uh, protection dogs, German shepherds. Wow, And very then, cool. uh, you know, and, but you can train anyway. I've got a cat that, uh, we call trailer kitty. Cause she goes to my barrel races with me. She rides in the front seat on console. Oh my. Free. And and she, and I trained her. People say, well, you can't train a cat. Well, you know, I got her as a rescue at two weeks of age and I trained her to go into her kennel. She, you know, she, I unzip it. She goes flying in there because she knows we're going somewhere, you know, and then, you know, put her in the truck, unzip it, off we go, down the barrel race, you know, and she's really good because if I'm, if I'm starting to fall asleep, you know, a little varmint will come up and bite me, you you know. <laughs> Like, oh, all right, Stormy, I got it. I'm away.
4: I'm, I'm, away.
2: I'm away. That is so I'm
4: cool. Away. I love you that took that challenge of training a cat.
2: Yeah, training the cat. That was something. I was. I had to think about that. I'm like, if we, you know, if we can train lions, I ought to be able to train this doggone I guess cat. so. I guess so. Yeah. I that mean, because we, we train lions and tigers to take, you know, diabetic lions or tigers to take insulin shots. You know,
4: Real? Okay, I, okay. Oh, yeah. we're, we're running out of time, but how in the world do you do that? That's a cool deal.
0: KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. If you're ready for a Las Vegas vacation, here's an offer you can